Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet community. We're back for another episode. I'm Trevor Maxwell and with me as always is the very lovely and talented Mike Riggs. (laughs) <laughs> hey, and uh, with us today, we have a, uh, a guest, a very special guest who's going to talk about something that I know a lot of you have questions about, Jonna Barker. Um, I'm going to let her go ahead and introduce herself because uh, I, I think she can talk a little bit more about her expertise than I can. So, John, I'll let you go ahead and, and introduce yourself. All right. Thanks, Trevor. Uh, my name is Jonna Barker. I am a veteran service officer for a nonprofit organization. I've been employed with them for about seven years. Um, I'm also a retired Navy, retired in 2001. When I was active duty, I was a Navy counselor. And so I did work with a lot of people that were transitioning and unfortunately, my field was not very well versed on helping those transition out of the service. So I'm more than welcome to answer questions or hit a specific topic or anything that you want. Yeah. So you've been a part of the supply chain really, you know, throughout the military transition of the service member, you know, the, the part of, advising them on what their options are to really seeing them on the way out the door. And now you're in the receive mode on helping folks as they're on their way out the door and as they're out the door as well. So it's great to have you on and to have your expertise. Thank you. And I take pride in trying to get out as much information that I had to learn the hard way because there were, there wasn't anybody that was very forthcoming with a lot of information and trying to uh, manipulate the VA system is very challenging. And so I strongly recommend everybody get involved with a veteran service organization that can help them with that process because they know it the best and they know the processes and things like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I know they talk about that in the, some of the official transition seminars, but kind of, you know, I wanted to echo something that you said, because that was my own personal experience. When I put in my retirement stuff, um, I was the first retirement that our, that our command career counselor had ever done before. (laughs) And, And this guy had been around for, you know, like 12 years. And he's like, well, I, you know, I, don't really know. I've never done one of these. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So I guess you and me are going to learn together. Um, but you know, I think the, the VSO, the veteran service officers, those guys and gals are a tremendous resource because they have a ton of knowledge about that. I, you know, I always kind of thought it was funny that, 
the military kind of monopolizes the whole transition process. Like they're the ones that are like, they own the transition education thing. And it's like, why is it like that? Uh, I know, you know, I know cause you, you know, technically you're still under their umbrella and their loving embrace and all, but it's, I can't think of a worse organization to teach you how to transition out of the military than the military. So right. <laughs> could you talk a little bit, uh, you know, about your experiences as a, as a VSO and maybe some of the things that you've seen that, that the official side of the house gets wrong? Well, when I transitioned out and went to my tap class that they called it way back when, um, they were really focused on unemployment and disabilities. And so we actually had somebody come to our class to review our records um, to help get that process started. And I know that since then, the TGBS classes and the TRS classes have all changed to reemployment and they focus a lot on resume writing and things like that. But they do tend to forget about us. Like when I first started, we were in classrooms giving presentations and briefings to those that were separating from the service. And then now we're virtually, we're in no classes at all. It's all by word of mouth. And so that's where I think the big breakdown is, is because they don't want to, because sometimes unemployment and disability is kind of a negative connotation to it. But, you know, it, it, it's not always as easy to get a job as a veteran or a disabled veteran as some people think it is. I always thought it was. Um, but I've come to learn from various clients that I've had that, you know, it's, it's very scary. You can always, I can always tell with my clients who's going to have the hardest transition time um, because, you know, they've been in for so long. And when you do something for 30 years and you enjoy it, it's really hard to make that transition. So it's not just transitioning with the different processes, but it's mentally transitioning yourself too. Oh, well, you're speaking to the choir there because uh, I, I'm the 30 year guy. So I, uh, I <laughs> what you're saying is resonating deeply with me. So uh, it, it's, it's the scary unknown. We've talked about it on previous episodes. Um, it, it, you don't know where you fit in. You don't know, you don't know really where your skill sets translate. You know, you don't, you don't know where they translate. You don't know what's out there because you've been behind the other fence line for 30 years. Um, that's, that's the fear of the unknown, you know, you, but, but you know, the perspective that I had when I separated being a female, you know, my spouse was still in the service at the time. And so I didn't have to worry about getting a job. Now, from a man's point of view, it's probably the scariest thing they've ever thought of because you're usually the major breadwinner in the family, I think. Well, well fortunately for me, I, I married way above my, my pay grade and way, way, married That's way good. above my league. Uh, my wife teaches at uh, a local university. So yeah, I, I have... I, <laughs> 
yeah. But there, I, but there I, are some that still, you know, from a male's perspective, are worried about providing for their family, and that's that's very hard. I I I think it would be very difficult for the twenty-year service member, the the E seven, who probably isn't looking at a, a robust disability who's looking at maybe the 50%, uh, you know, pension. Mm -hmm. And now what are they, how are they going to compensate for that BAH, BAS going away, the CPA going away and those types of things, that's a huge Delta in their income. So yeah. that I'm not in that boat, but I can imagine if I was, that would be a whole different story. That's a whole different ball game. And and that's, you know, that, that would be a lot, that, that'd be scary. Yeah, it what is. Are, I was going to say, what are some of the things that you, that you see that are common amongst the people who, who are, do seem like they're really prepared and, and the people who don't seem like they're really prepared? I hate to pick out a specific branch of service, but I think the Marine Corps is the hardest for transitioning um, that I've seen, but it probably depends on the length of time that they're allowed for their transition. Because when you're on a, on board a ship or you're at a command where the op tempo is extremely high, they don't give you time to do that transition. And, you know, you try to get a little bit of things done here and there, but the whole mental piece is very stressful for them because you know, back when I retired, they didn't have the skill bridge program. I think that's an awesome thing for people to be doing now. Um, Special Warfare has an awesome transition program that they have built up. And I wish Big Navy would kind of mirror that. I know EOD has started to, but I hear there's some funding issues, but I mean, they're on the right track, but um you know, I think it needs to be on a bigger scale because yeah. Special Warfare has their own people that they've hired to help them with their transition. And they, they hit pretty much every piece of it. You know, the, the reviewing of the records, um, it's forwarding them up to people that can help them with their claims. Also, um, you know, once they do finish up getting their disability rating, then they, you know, if they've got combat injuries, they can apply for that CRSC program. And so special warfare has people that actually help them do that. So. Yeah, I know that's a big one. And we actually, the last episode we recorded, we, we dove into that in depth, I think pretty well. Um, and, and so some of those programs you're talking about too, a lot of those, um, some of those, like the one that I'm associated with the honor foundation, I do coaching there and that's an awesome program. You know, that's also funded by nonprofits. Uh, it's, it was started by the Navy, you know, the Navy seal foundation had a big part in getting that up and running. And, um, you know, it's, it's an awesome program. Mike's going to do it here pretty soon. Uh, you know, I've been working with them for a few years now. Um, but the problem is, is their capacity is extremely limited. Like, you know, what is it? Something like 200,000 people a year get out of the military. Uh, 
Yep. You know, I think the the Honor Foundation does two or three cohorts of of thirty people a year per campus, and there's three campuses right now. So, wow. you know, they're <laughs> they don't have the the capacity to to fill all those spots, but you know, it's a time thing too, right? It's I think that's a that's another issue that a lot of people face is um, in the the you know some of the uh, higher tiered or communities or whatever special types of communities the chain of the command there is a little more willing to to give you a wiggle room for that stuff uh, but I could see that because I was on a ship a long time ago and I knew some guys that were retiring and <laughs> you know that, that guy was at work every day with all of us and you know, from morning quarters until Liberty call. Um, well, when I retired from the service, my last command was TPU. Oh. So the transient personnel unit. So I was the NC there. And my retention rate was extremely high, but it was only high because when the ships would send them over to TPU to complete their process of getting out because of the ship's schedule, I would hit them up and say, hey, have you ever been to a C-school? What can I do to get you to re-enlist? And they've been trying to get to these different schools or to go out for SEAL training or to go to EOD school or whatever, but the ships just won't let them go because they don't have a replacement. And so I would always pick up the phone and because they were in that limbo status, I was able to get them orders to a C-school or I think I sent 12 guys to Bud's training, but of course, none of them made it, <laughs> but at least they were given an opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's tough too. And I had a conversation a while back with a, with a guy we're going to try to get on the show eventually. He's, he, you know, he worked in the army's transition program and, you know, we, we've said this before, like we understand, you know, they can't be, be the the everything when it comes to transition right really i i kind of feel like the military's focus should be on their mission at hand um and so i don't i you know i really what we try to do here is enhance kind of the efforts that they're doing right now and 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 dig a little deeper into some of the stuff that they only hit the wave tops on with the transition programs um so you know, it's tough to, to cover everything in a week, which is what they get. Um, and I don't even know, Mike, did they, how, how was that program set up? Cause I know it's been a few years since I went through it and they changed it a lot. Uh, the classes that I went to probably took two and a half days, I think. And it was all online thanks to COVID, but yeah, yeah. it was about for me, for what my career counselor signed me up for is about two and a half days, maybe slightly. It wasn't a full three, I don't think. So. Yeah. See, when I went through, they had the first day where they talk about uh, some of your benefits and, you know, they tell you to come in and do a budget and all this stuff. And then it was three days of the department of labor going through this big, thick workbook. And then the last day was VA disability and that was it. And you know, you were talking, Jonah, you're, John, you were talking about the, the resume and stuff. That was the part that made me the most mad because they had one person in there trying to help 50 people do their resumes all at once. And I had been working on mine. I kept calling the guy like, Hey, could you come look at this? And he's like, I'll be right there. 
on his way to come talk to me, somebody else will grab him. And that happened to me like seven times in a row. Finally, I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, I was like, this doesn't help me at all. Whereas, you know, some of those other organizations that like the Commit Foundation, the Honor Foundation, they, you know, you have a coach, you have a one-on-one coach, right? I have a guy that I'm with the entire time through the process and, and now I've learned about writing resumes and, you know, I, you know, help them out and, and put them in touch with people who that's their subject matter expertise. But, you know, it's, it's like, well, you're not going to be able to do that for 200,000 people a year. But on the other hand, you know, with some of the other things that are really important, like, uh, you know, the, the disability claims, like you were saying that you work on, I, it's good that they have a lot of those veteran service officers out there that, that can help that. So could you talk a little bit about your experience with that? I mean, I can just tell you kind of the process and, and when the best time to get started with it. So a person can file a claim as early as 180 days prior to their separation date, not the terminal leave date, but the separation date. And so we always encourage people to contact a veteran service organization a little bit before that so you know what you have to get together because there are a lot of forms that you have to fill out. There's a lot of records that you're gonna have to get. And especially during this COVID time, you know, we don't, we're not allowed to see clients in the office. So we're doing everything by email and by phone And so it takes a little bit longer for the process because we have to do it in kind of sections, so to speak, because I don't, I don't like to overwhelm my clients because it's already overwhelming enough to get out. So I try to make it as easy as possible and I give it to them in sections. So if you file between 90 and 180 days prior to your separation date, then um, they call that a BDD claim. And what that does is allows the VA to work on your claim while you're still on active duty with the hopes for it to be complete 30 days after date of discharge. That's not mandatory though, but that's what they try to shoot for. And that's was very accurate prior COVID Um, A lot of guys would, if they started at the 180 day mark, a lot of my clients were getting uh, rated right at retirement or separation date. If you file a claim under 90 days from the time that you separate, they won't work on your claim until you're off contract. And so the, I mean, the only disadvantage to that is it's gonna take a little bit longer for you to get your money. So if they start it maybe 30 days after the date that you separate and it takes them three months to complete your claim, you'll still get the back pay from the time that you separated, but it's just gonna take a little bit longer to get it. That's what happened to me. I, at the time I thought it was, cause I guess it used to be 60 days And so then I got mine in 65 days out and they're like, Oh no, they just changed it to 90. (laughs) So I got all my appointments like a week after I retired. And then I think I got my, my 
rating, you know, four months later. So yeah. that was nice. But then, um, but then what I do is I make sure that they have all the appropriate forms because um, if a person is rated at 30% or more, you can uh, get extra money for having dependents. And so if you have children and a spouse, you can get a stipend for that for the children up to the age of 18. Then if that child becomes a full-time college student, you have to fill another form out, but you can continue that stipend from the age of 18 to 23. And then it stops at 23, whether they're finished with college or not. And so we provide all that paperwork for them. Um, they go and request their Alta notes, which is their electronic medical record. And then we also encourage them to get copies of their hard medical record because in the hard medical record, there's things in there that are not in your Alta notes and vice versa. Like all the hearing exams are in your hard medical record, but unless you've been to audiology, there won't be anything in your Alta notes. And so with those two medical records, that's what we get digitally. And when we file the claims uh, through this program that we use, then we just upload all those medical records and forms into their claim. And so when, but what I do is once they've got these records, I actually schedule an appointment with them to talk with them on the phone to come up with a list of things to put on their claim. Because when you, when you do a pre-discharge claim, you can still put things on your claim that you may not have had time to go to medical and get documented for. And if the VA examiner comes up with a diagnosis, then the VA could rate you for that particular issue. And so that's why I like to talk with them instead of just going off of what's in their record. And uh, yeah, a quick note with that too, like a, a big one that a lot of people don't realize, um, getting your Alta notes and your medical record is one thing. Any like mental health type stuff, that's completely separate. That's another, you know, uh, set of records that you need to get copies of. If you're, if you have anything like PTSD, TBI, um, if you want to be able to claim any of that stuff, which I know there's kind of a stigma around it. I can tell you, like as somebody who got rated for, for both of those, it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, it's, um, but yeah, it's just important that they know like, Hey, just because you gave them your medical record and your Alta notes, if you had any mental health issues um, when you're going to file your claim, that's a completely separate set of records that you need to get a hold of. I have seen sometimes, sometimes in Alta notes where mental health is um, included in that. Um, I know that when I go up to Fort Irwin to do the class, theirs are actually all separate. So yeah, there are times when it is, but I have seen them combined together. So, um, but you know, even with some of the clients that I have that have got combat, but haven't gone in to get a diagnosis for PTSD, I'm going to encourage them to file for it anyway even though they may not have the diagnosis on active duty because 
you know, with the clients that I see and the amount of combat that they've had, um, most of them have been rated for PTSD. Yeah. And, and it's something else that you, you were talking about too. Like it's actually, even if you don't get like a, uh, you know, a 50% or whatever, if you can at least get it on your claim and get it as a 0%, it's actually easier to increase that later on, right. Than to get it actually added onto your claim. Right. So a 0% actually means that you do have an issue going on, but it's not enough for monetary compensation. And so um, one good example are scars, unless you have, you know, a horrible scar and I think they have dimensions. I think it has to be bigger than three to five inches, something like that. Um, you will usually get a 0%. And with a 0%, you could still get quite a few benefits through the VA that you don't realize. So the younger guys who are getting out, we always make sure that we put those types of things on their claim to at least to get them to a 0%. You know, somebody who's at a retirement age usually has a longer list um, than the younger guys. <laughs> I'm sure Mike's is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll be going through that later, Mike. Okay. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> and, you know, and a good example of a zero percent. So I'm located out in San Diego, and the state of California has veteran benefits. So you have VA benefits, and then you have state benefits. And so if you're rated at a zero percent in the state of California, and your child goes to a UC or a state school, the state of California will pay the tuition. So I retired before the post 9-11 came out. So I didn't have that option. So my oldest daughter used, it's called the CalVet College Fee Waiver for the state of California. So she got her bachelor's at Cal State Fullerton using that program. And That's yeah, awesome. I had to pay a little bit out of pocket like for books and stuff, but the majority, yeah. like the tuition and stuff is all paid for by the state. Virginia it, has, but every state is different too. You have to make sure you look. Yeah. Virginia has that. It's like that, but it's, it's only for if you have a VA disability rating of 90% or higher. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that California's was 0%. That's, oh, that's awesome. But then <laughs> You know, so we get the claim going. We, I have an interview with them. We make the list up. Um, we have a computer system um, that the VA allows us to use to enter all the information into the claim. And it's actually tied into your e-benefits account. And then once I get everything entered in, I send, and this is during the COVID process, I send the copy of the claim to the member on email so they can review it and make sure all the information is correct. And, you know, we take into consideration that some people may not be living in the same area or they're going on terminal leave and moving back home. So we, we make sure they understand and it's, it's all a timing issue because once we submit that claim, um, we usually give the VA about a 30-day period before the VA will contact the member to set up um, appointments to go to for all those items that are on the person's claim. 
And so once they go to those appointments and then they're gonna move back home wherever, we always make sure that they change their address so they can get their rating letter when the time comes. Now they can, they can also do those appointments like after they move too, right? If, as long as they let the VA know ahead of time. Whatever address they choose to put on their claim is where those exams will be ordered. And so that, that's what has to be discussed with your VSO that you're working with so that they, you put the correct address down so those exams can be ordered to wherever you're going to move to. And then as a VSO, do you guys like after they get their rating, their rating letter, which is a, you know, for me, I think mine was like 17 pages or something like that. But um, once they get that, if there's any kind of appeals or, or any corrections that need to be made, do you guys handle that as VSOs as well? And so my organization that I work for, we have, um, we have transition service officers, which is myself, that help people who are transitioning out of the military. And then we have national service officers that help people who've already been out of the service. And so we're, they're very strict on who we can help because there's different processes. Um, so if a person gets their findings back and they wanna disagree with it, sure they can. What I tell my clients is when they get their letter, read through it. And if you, because there's a lot of legal jargon in there too, jot down some questions because in your rating letter, it's going to list each of the items you have on your claim. It's going to tell you what you got rated at and why based off of that exam that you went to with that doctor. And then it will tell you if your condition ever gets worse, it tells you the criteria you have to fit in order to request an increase. And so if somebody disagrees with those findings, there's ways to go about it. When you use the word appeal process in the VA world, the appeal process takes five to seven years for an appeal to go through. So there's lower levels of disagreeing with what the VA finds. And one of them is called a notice of disagreement. And that's basically kind of where you start off from is just disagreeing with their findings. But you have to have a legitimate reason. It can't be because you think you have it and the doctor didn't think you had it type of thing. You have to show some new medical supporting documentation in order to disagree with it. I think, um, you know, I wanted to shift gears here too. And one of the other things that, that you're pretty knowledgeable on that we wanted to leverage while we got you here on the call is um, talking about TRICARE. And so I know you, you've got some experience about that, but I'll let Mike uh, kind of run this because he's going through the process right now. And I know he's got a ton of questions that he wants to ask about it. But yeah. uh, in the transition uh, seminar that we were talking about earlier, I was in the retiree class and they love them to death. They, they do a great job. They do the best they can. There was not a TRICARE representative in the retirement class. Wow. None. We were given a name and a phone number 
of a, a great lady to call, which I think falls far short of what should be expected out of a retiree class. And there were E6s to at least O6s in that class. And so, and, and I bring up this point and why I think TRICARE is so near and dear because I have several, you know, friends that have retired for, they've been retired for years. And I've had a few of them tell me, just in conversation, you know, Mike, if I had to give up one or the other, my pension or my medical care, I would give up my pension before I would give up my medical care. That's how important it is. That was how it was important. It was conveyed to me out in the civilian world, you know, and that's, it, it just, it, it, it kind of floored me the lack of importance that was put on that piece in you know, and I worked up on Capitol Hill last year and just how much, even in the defense side that I worked on in my portfolio, you know, how much medical stuff kept coming up over and over and over again on the, on that side. And, and it, it, it just, it floored me, you know, and I just think we really, that, that knowledge gap and what we're trying to do with this, with this show and, and get that information out is just lacking. And I think it's great to have somebody like you who has that knowledge base, but I, you know, I'll tell you what I know about TRICARE is I have to pay for it. And I have this little app that's on my phone that I run the, uh, the calculators that'll tell me how much I think I'm going to get in my pension and what I may expect for, uh, VA disability and how much they're going to take out in taxes and so on and so forth and how much you have to pay for TRICARE uh, Prime for family and stuff like that. But really, and then maybe get on Facebook on some of the Mass Chief Retiree websites and they'll get on there and complain about it every now and then or they'll ask a couple questions. But as far as, you know, TRICARE, I, I, I'm completely ignorant about it. And I think there's a lot of other folks out there going through this process that are as well to include the dental side. You know, I don't think, I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, yeah. So when I, when I first retired, my first job was with TRICARE <clears throat> and I worked for the company TriWest that had the contract at the time. Awesome company to work for. Um, and I worked in the referral and authorizations department. And so I got a lot of um, knowledge um, from working there. But you know, a lot of people don't realize you have to enroll once you get out as a retiree. It's not automatic. And there have been a lot of changes to TRICARE, uh, depending on when you join the service now. And when I, when I retired and got my job, the only benefit that I took from my job was my vi vision and my dental because TRICARE didn't offer that at the time. So I had my TRICARE and then I had vision and dental through my company, which was pretty cheap. Uh, it just depends on the company that you're with. And, um, you know, but, but you, can, you can have a couple of different insurance policies because um, if you have what they call other health insurance, then that helps offset some of the costs for TRICARE. Same thing with dental and same thing with vision. Um, I still 
right now just have TRICARE and my company has an extremely good package. So you have to weigh out those options to see what it is that TRICARE is charging you versus what your company has to offer as a benefit. And, and if you want both of them because you might need it, then that's something that you have that option to. But also as a retiree, you have an option to enroll into the VA healthcare system. And a good example that I tell my clients is if a person has sleep apnea and you have a CPAP machine, and if you use your TRICARE, you will have a copay probably for your supplies. But if the VA rates you for sleep apnea, you can get your supplies through the VA for free because your service connected for it. For and it does not, it shouldn't affect either one. So that's a savings there. That's a, I mean, this, I think this topic is, is a big one too, because if you're active duty and you're listening to this, I've got some bad news for you. When you get out and get a new job, you can't go to work and go to sick call. They don't have it unless you work at a hospital maybe, but uh, so, yes, you, you don't necessarily have to walk around with your high school diploma, but you do have to uh, kind of learn how to use that. And so with that too, like when I got out, I, I did TRICARE standard um, because I don't know where we're going to move to. I wanted to have flexibility to go wherever I wanted. Um, but I actually ended up getting on my wife's dental insurance. Um, I was initially enrolled in, TRICARE Dental, but that went away like less than a year after I retired. And now that got rolled into the Federal Employee Dental and Vision Insurance Program. And, you know, I think from what I've heard, it's it's a little pricey for that type of insurance. Um, But I mean, it's even getting pricey for TRICARE too, for the medical things. Because copays are going up and, but it's still considerably cheaper than what a civilian would pay, you know, if they paid for a policy out of pocket. I mean, just for a family with medical, if you go TRICARE Prime, you're going to pay $50 a month. And then you would have co-pays if you had a civilian doctor and didn't have to go to a TRICARE clinic. But when you go TRICARE Prime, you're a little more restricted on where you can go it may not even be offered where you live at. If you live out in the boonies somewhere, it may not be there for you um, as a choice. Here in San Diego, we have you know the military here anyway. So the network here for TRICARE is extremely large. And so TRICARE Prime for retirees is usually a pretty decent deal. There are people that go I think it's called select now, not standard. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of people do that because they want to go to who they want to go to without requesting through TRICARE if they can go to somebody. So that's kind of what it boils down to. Something uh, Mike and I learned uh, because there's, there's one out here by our house. There's like these little TRICARE clinics mm-hmm. where you can get like basic stuff done. And, um, yeah. I, I didn't even know about that. It's like, yeah, you can go there and do basic, uh, you know, I think they can do like x-rays and stuff there. They can do kind of like urgent care type stuff. 
um, which I didn't even know about that. Um, I think maybe that's something to, to create some content around. Yeah. I didn't know about it until I rode my bike by it. And it's right. It's in this building. Was it behind like Smithfield foods, like yeah. uh, office building. You wouldn't even know it was back there unless you were riding your bike or going for a run back there. It's, it's tucked back in there. Inconspicuous as can be. As we say in West Virginia, it's way back in there. Back in the holler. <laughs> but, but the way I understand it now is you can't enroll into the programs until you're actually retired. And so they kind of give you a 90 day window, I think, to enroll. So you have to be really careful and remember to do it because it's not automatic. And if somebody gets sick and you're not enrolled into it properly, it could cause some problems down the road. Yeah. Yeah, to air a little bit of uh, dirty laundry, uh, one of my guys did not get his DD-214 on time, went to enroll in uh, in TRICARE and could not do it because he did not have his DD-214 on time. So, yes, you are correct. You, you have to have your DD-214 because I, I got a half an hour earful of it the other day when I was trying to leave to go to the gym. <laughs> I know there's... There's and usually a, what I do is I try to provide them phone numbers because TRICARE right now is split up into two regions, the East and the West. And I usually give them the TRICARE website um, to find out where that line is drawn in the States. And then I give them the phone number and tell them you need to call enrollments because if you're on terminal leave and you move from one coast to the other, you need to know what to do in case somebody in your family gets sick or you have to go be seen while you're on terminal leave. Because if you're crossing regions, that could cause a conflict. And I know, yeah, for the, for the East, it's uh, Humana military. And I've, I recently, I had an issue, I had to go to the emergency room and um, some paperwork didn't get done. And so the, the hospital sent me a bill for $9,800, but, uh, I, the, the portal is actually really easy to use. Um, it's, it's pretty intuitive. The customer service, it's not bad or, or I haven't had a bad experience with it. And they were pretty quick. Like, you know, they, I told them the issue and they said, okay, well, you know, send us this form, uh, via secure message and we'll look at it. And they got back to me within a couple of days. They said, we're reviewing it right now we'll have something for you. And it was resolved pretty quickly. So I, I personally was happy with it. That's the first time I ever really had to do it. Um, you know, I had to go to physical therapy too. And that's where those co-pays come in. I think it was like $41, uh, which when you're going twice a week for six weeks, that adds up a little bit. Yes, it does. <laughs> and that's because you're standard or select, right? Yeah. So your co-pays are a little bit higher as opposed to prime. Mm -hmm. But then not everybody has that option for prime, depending on where they're living. Yeah. And well, I know where we're at. There's, there's a pretty significant military population here, but like I said, I don't, I don't know where I'm, uh, that will always be here. I just, I like having the flexibility of changing whenever I want. And I, I also encourage my clients to enroll into the VA healthcare system along with if they're retiring into TRICARE because, you know, sometimes my clients are single or they don't have dependents or anything. And 
depending on where they're at, if they like the VA system that's there, because when a person is rated at 50% or more, you can use the VA for anything and everything, whether you're service connected for it or not. When you get under 50%, that's when they put you in different categories and you may have a copay or you can only go for service connected issues. But for a client who's single or if they're dual military, you know, I always tell them enroll into it, use it a few times if you like it. It might be a little cheaper way than paying for TRICARE. But, you know, at least. And, you know, I, I hear, especially when I worked up on Capitol Hill, the VA was just getting just they were getting just flung through the mud and it was all kinds of horrible stories about the VA. But I think, I think that's what grabs a lot of the headlines. I think a lot of times that's probably, I, of course I'm speaking uh, not from experience here, but I think a lot of times that's the exception and not necessarily the rule. I think that's the, the one-star review at the restaurant and it, and it gets the, the attention more than the other great reviews that, it, you know, I think, you know, the vast majority of the folks at the VA are trying to do the best that they can do with what they've got. And I think most, most of the folks that I've talked to that I know personally that go to the VA have really good experiences at the VA. Yeah. And, and you're going to hear the ones or twos, you know, it's, I think it's just human nature when you hear that one bad experience, that's the one that sticks with us psychologically that sticks in our mind. But I, you know, I, I can still, you know, think of folks many times that have talked to me about, Oh yeah, I go to the VA all the time. They, they, they're awesome. I don't go to the Navy. I have TRICARE. I don't go to the hospital. I go to the freaking VA because they're awesome. They treat me great. And why not? You know, if you like it that much and it's going to be a little cheaper in your pocket, why not? Absolutely. And then I think it's great. You bring up a great point, you know, but by the time you have, you know, the, the VA side and you could have the TRICARE side and then, you know, like our cases, you have your spouse, you know, and they have their insurance. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have all your bases covered, especially, yeah, you know, these people don't realize when they, when they retire, you know, about the benefits and, you know, you, cause you really, I end up telling my clients all the facts and then let them make the decision based on their personal, you know, situation. And, you know, one example is, you know, about disabilities. I can't stress enough that your disabilities are private. And in the civilian world, Although it's against the law to use it against you, if there's knowledge, they will find a way to possibly get rid of you. And so you need to be careful. You know, there's companies out there that get kickbacks for hiring disabled veterans, but they cannot ask you what your disabilities are. That's against the law. They can ask you, I think I saw on one application, it said, um, like, do you have any of the following disabilities? And there must have been about 25 things listed in there. And it was a yes or no question. And if they try to ask you during the interview process, you need, you need to understand, you don't have to tell them 
once a person is hired with a company for one year, then they have a um, uh, thing called the Family Medical Leave Act. And I'll give you an example. Let's say, let's say you suffer from migraines a lot and you have to call in sick a lot and you've exhausted all your, we call it PTO in the civilian world, personal time off or sick time, and you don't have any more left. If you've been employed with this employer for a year, you can apply for this FMLA. And what that does is it gives you job protection from your medical issues. And so they'll make you use your PTO first, but if you know, if you got to call in sick again and you don't have any, then you can go in a non-pay status, but they can't fire you because of that. So it's job protection. Um, and that's usually um, handled, excuse me, that's usually handled with the employee and the HR department. And very seldom are the supervisors informed of the specifics. I mean, you have to know if that person is using their FMLA if they call in sick, because they actually give you 12 weeks a year, calendar year, in addition to whatever you accrue for your personal time off at that company. And so, you know, a lot of clients I have have PTSD. And so, you know, that's not something that you really want to advertise. And, but if you're having a bad day and you're not able to get to work because of it, you know, there's other avenues that are in place for these guys to protect them so they can hold a job down because that's, that's what needs to happen. Um, if a person is not able to hold a job down due to one of the disabilities that the VA has rated them for, um, then they do have programs within the VA it's called individual unemployability. And so if a person has a rating of less than 100%, I think the criteria is a 60 on one item and a 40 on the other, something like that, um, then they may want to apply for this individual unemployability because they're not able to hold a job down due to their mental health issues or due to their chronic back pain that they're experiencing. So if you apply through the VA, that's the only time that you would not be able to work when you get that benefit from the VA and that they would raise you up to the 100% level to help offset some of those wages that are lost. That's, when a person, I, oh, go when ahead. is rated at 100%, you can still work out in the civilian community. I get that question a lot. But when you're using the benefit through the VA called the individual unemployability, that's where you're not allowed to work. That, that I was just about to say that there's there's actually three different types of 100%. Um, like you were saying, the individual unemployability, there's the 100% where you may still have to go back and be reevaluated from time to time to make sure that those are still an issue. And then there's what I got, which is the 100% permanent and total, which is, hey, you're, you're permanent and total. You don't have to be reevaluated for any of this stuff. Like, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, because I've, I've had that question a lot. People say, well, I heard if you got 100%, you can't work anymore. And 
Yeah, like, I heard that too. I don't know. I that's mean. not true. One one other thing that I wanted to, to hit on. I don't need to back. Oh, what's up, Mike? Well, I, I've heard the urban legend as well. Watch out! Don't don't mess around trying to get a hundred percent because you're going to get the hundred percent permanent total unemployable, and you're never going to be able to work again. I've had that. I had that urban legend at my when I was at EOD school. Yeah, I had one of my staff members tell me that he was retired. He was a retired staff member. He's like, "Oh, you better watch yourself." You better watch yourself. You're going to get that, and you're not going to be able to go get a job. I'm like, come on. Are you sure about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. And it's just the sea lawyer. It's just yeah. so we got to put that, we got to get that record straight. Yep. And so I wanted to backpedal a little bit there when you were talking about getting into the VA healthcare system. One of the probably the most important things um, that I deal with a lot because I work you know, I, I work as a financial advisor, like in, in my actual job, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but, you know, we look at like things like life insurance and, and some of the, the benefits that can come with some of these policies. Um, one of the big ones that people deal with in the insurance industry is long-term care, um, because it's no secret that that is one of the big things that's bankrupting a lot of older people nowadays um, is the cost of long-term care. And if anything, getting into the VA medical system just for that as a, you know, potential safeguard for, you know, making sure you don't break the bank when you're older, uh, because I'm not going to, I could spend a lot of time talking about this stuff. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole cause we'll be on here for another hour and a half. But uh, it, it's it's one of those really important things to, to look at and say, hey, yes, I feel great right now. I'm fine. I can go out and bench press a lot of weight and um, I can't run anymore. I can walk really far. But uh, it, just because I feel this good now doesn't mean I'm going to feel that way 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just. Of, there's a lot of benefits through the VA you know, like aid in attendance, if somebody becomes incapacitated. And that's why it's really important to have a veteran service organization to help you understand those things. If you're not one of those people that like to do a lot of research, um, you know, and there's plenty of organizations out there that the VA does recognize. And so just, you know, be a little careful on who you choose, but um, make sure they're accredited with the VA if you do use a veteran service organization and, you know, make us do your work for free. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest part because there's too many people in the military that are so accustomed to having free stuff that, you know, they don't really want to pay for anything. Uh, mm -hmm. so <laughs> it's a whole new world out there and you're going to have to pay your toll. Um what, so I guess, you know, we've been on here for a while now, so, uh, I don't want to take up your entire evening, but if there was one thing that you could share, one piece of information or one resource that you could talk about um, to anybody who's listening to this, what would you say to everybody? You know, do, do your homework and please start your transition. I think two years is a good time frame. You know, when it was time for me to retire, I was an E6, so I was at higher tenure, but they had just raised the higher tenure for another two years. And I really thought about it, but I had already had that switch turned 
in my brain for my transition. And so there was no going back. And, you know, it does take a long time, especially if you're a single parent, if you're the major breadwinner in your family, or, you know, there's just so many resources out there for veterans. They just need to ask. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing is, is a lot of people just don't, uh, they don't ask or they, they ask the wrong people kind of like the, the guy Mike was talking about and <laughs> the, yeah. the sea lawyers as we, we call them in the Navy. Yeah. Yep. Well, Mike, when it's, when it's time for us to do your claim, then you can report back on how well your transition was, right? I, I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Cause I tell you, you know, I think we talked about this earlier uh, when we talked on the phone, but there's two things that just keep coming up and keep coming up during this transition time. And it's make sure your DD 214 is accurate. Spend your time and go over, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T and making sure everything's on there. Because if it's not, you, you're doing yourself a complete disservice. And the other and thing is one, just to uh, jump in there real quick with the DD 214s, that process has changed a little. And so now that each command is being responsible for that. So you're getting a lot of people that are not sure what they're doing. So that's why it's extremely important because that DD-214 is extremely important. Yes. Yes. That sounds like a great topic for another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And the other thing is, I mean, we probably discuss this every podcast, if not every other podcast in but it's the VA process and how important it is to put your pride aside and put the stuff on paper and do the due diligence and do the process because, you know, it's the, the ounces are pounds and the pounds are pain. It's the, these little cents that are going to add up to the dollars that are going to add up to the difference in lifestyle. And, you know, you talk about the 0% that, allowed your kids to go to to college in California. It's the 90% in Virginia that are going to allow my, potentially allow my daughters to go to college here. You know, that's, and you look at how expensive college is now for, for folks that just to get an undergrad, it's, that's insane, but they're going to afford that to us for serving. We need to take advantage of that stuff. That's, that's life-changing. It's life-changing for me as a parent it's life-changing for my daughters to be able to afford it, that opportunity and not have to pay for that stuff. So it's so important for folks to prioritize this and to get their ducks in a row and to do this the right way. Cause you're only going to get one shot at it. You, yeah, you can go through the, you know, the uh, disagreements in the appeals process, but God, don't, don't do that. Just do it the right way the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, I just wanted to put this out to, is um, if you get a type of discharge that is other than an, uh, under honorable conditions, it has to be honorable in order for you to get your benefits through the VA. You can still file your claim if you get an OTH or a BCD. Don't let somebody try to not talk you out of not doing it. I have several clients in a specific community that have gotten not so good discharges. And the way the VA looks at it is 
if a person's been in for 10 years and got in some trouble and ended up getting an OTH, as long as he's got a period of good conduct, the VA will take that under consideration and the VA can upgrade just in the VA eyes, the type of discharge for this veteran to get some benefits. Because you know, you get guys out there who've got some mental health issues, might get themselves in trouble or whatever. And, you know, I personally wouldn't want them to slip through the cracks. So don't think that you can't file just because you did not receive an honorable discharge. There are ways of going about it. And it depends on how hard you want to work at it to get it upgraded possibly. But in the VA's eyes, you know, they may think you just might be eligible for the health benefits or you might be eligible for the compensation too. So it, it, everybody's story is different. Everybody's situation outcome is different. And so don't let that discourage you from applying. Please apply. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's kind of, it's good to hear because I personally struggle with that somewhat. Uh, not because I'm that person, but I have been in leadership positions where we have run some of our folks ragged. And I've been, I've been one of those folks, but I have been also in leadership positions where we have run some of our folks ragged to the point where we could have done better at identifying when we were doing that. And it has caused some of them to go off the deep end and, it's some of them, some have been catastrophic, you know, um, but it's good to hear that cooler heads are prevailing, that there are folks on the other end, like the VA that are looking at it and go, you know, there, there are good graces in in periods of service where you did the right thing. And we're going to look at it that way. That's, that's good to hear. And, I, and I mean, that's, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's going to be an uphill battle, but I know that, some of the clients I'm working with specifically have were told by other organizations, don't even bother. And that's not the right kind of attitude to treat our veterans because, you know, I, I, I could write a book on all the stories that I hear from my clients and I don't pass judgment on any of my clients. And, and you know, one of my clients got a BCD due to domestic violence issues. But you know what? Why was there domestic violence issues? He'd just come back off his sixth combat deployment, didn't have time to decompress, and it things got out of hand. And and I'm not, I don't pass judgment, you know. I wouldn't want it, it would lay heavy on my heart if I didn't help the individual and then something catastrophic happened that would weigh too heavy on me. You know, there might be some underlying issues where the person needs to get help. And that's how I approach the situation. So don't think that you can't apply. You can. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we work with very high performing individuals and it's amazing that even even in times where folks have been killed, you will find folks raising their hands the moment they are told that someone was killed 
to go over there and replace them just like that. It happens over and over and over again. And it wouldn't have, if that person had just come back, they want to go back over there. And it's very difficult as a leader to say, you know, Hey man, just, uh, yeah, you can't go. You got to take a back seat. You know, it's, and being able to recognize and get to the point, you know, how do we, how, what's one, one, what, what's one's person's enough. And I think it's individual, but where, where do you recognize that? You know, you just don't know. I mean, I had a guy on my team that lost pretty much all of one of his hands and he, he volunteered to go take another guy's spot, you know, like nine months later. Um, you know, so I get that, but you know, I think that's, uh, like, like Mike was saying, and you were saying, I mean, you know, we beat people down pretty hard. Uh, I guess we kind of look at it and we're like, Oh, whatever, I'm fine. But like when you're able to take a step back and, and look at what happened and think about, you know, your career and everything. And you're like, wow, that was like what I went through. That was extremely abnormal. That's, that's not, you know, what, what regular people do. And so, you know, it's, you gotta, I guess it's kind of, maybe it's um, cause I'm older and softer now, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, Hey dude, look at this through a, through a, a lens of compassion a little bit and try to understand like, why does this person have these issues? Cause you know, I think a lot of people, you know, generally want to do good. They want to be good. Um, at least most of the people that we've had the pleasure of, of working with. Um, and and when, you know, a lot of my clients are SEALs, EOD divers. Um, in fact, that's probably 90% of my clientele, but you know, and, and they downplay everything. And when I talk with them on the phone, for instance, how many headaches do you get? Or how many migraines do you get a week? Oh, I get four or five. Well, do you know that that's not normal? And they're like, well, now that you mention it, <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I kind of help them open up their eyes and shift gears a little. And, you know, it's kind of my way of repaying back because I can sleep safely at night. It's the least I can do. And money may not be the answer to everything that they're going through, but it helps. And there's other benefits available too. Well, John, the same attitude. Yeah. We, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's an, an awesome thing. And I'm glad that we have people like you out there helping out other transitioning service members. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, to speaking with you again. Um, Cause I know you, you've got a wealth of knowledge that I think uh, I would definitely like to share more of it with, with the people that listen to this podcast. Okay. Sure. Anytime. All Thanks right. for coming on. Really well, appreciate the talk. I, th- I think it's a uh, such an important topic. Yep. Hey, John and Barker, everyone. Uh, I'm sure we'll have her on again. Um, anything else that you want to say before we get off here? No, just thanks for having me. No, go Navy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, John. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get 
the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.